How are you feeling today, United Church? Are we feeling good? Oh, man, what a, what a day it is to be in church. And uh, I believe that we have turned the corner uh, from the frigid temperatures. I'm just believing that in Jesus' name. Anybody can believe that in Jesus' name? Yeah, yeah. And uh, if you've already looked at a forecast and it says differently, just don't, just don't, uh, just don't kill my vibe. Come on, somebody, just let me, let me be in that moment for a second. But um, today, a couple of really quick things before we jump into the message. I want to tell you this, back in 2013, I was sitting in a worship experience much like this, and I felt God speak into my life. And he said, I want you to love Delaware until their heart beats like mine. And it was one of those, one of those moments in time, like I, I can't really, um, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was an undeniable voice that God had spoken that, had etched that on, on my heart. And uh, at the time, I just want to be transparent with you. Come on, I was not very excited about that call to spend the rest of my life in Delaware. I'm like, God, you, did, did you mean like Delaware, Florida? Did you mean like Delaware? Like, what, God, where were you? No, he's like, no, Delaware. I want you to love Delaware. But he's given me a supernatural love for this state. And I've begun to realize why he gave us this call. And here's why I believe that God has given us this call. And you may not know this. Maybe you're new to the area. But there are less than a million people that live in the entire state of Delaware. Now, I talk to people, I've got friends that live in like Orlando area or they live in Houston and there's like a million people like on one block, you know what I'm saying? Like that's like, that's like, like the high rise has a million people in it. And, but here's what I, I truly believe that God has given us this calling and, and command because I believe that it's possible. I have this, I have this holy ambition to uh, love on a state until people can't deny that we are for them and that we love them and that we care for them. And one of the ways, many ways that we do that is throughout the year, uh, we do what's called a love day, usually around our anniversary in September. And we go, we come together and it's really like United Church just gives the state of Delaware like a big hug is what it's a, essentially what we do. And, um, and, and so we, we do that once a year, but we have said, how, I mean, how do we get a little bit closer to the heart of God and say, if, if God, you've called us to love the state of Delaware to the heartbeats like yours, how do we do that? And I'm really excited to tell you about this. Uh, we are having what are called Serve Saturdays. Every single month, we're gonna be having Serve Saturdays. And the first one is actually coming up April 9th on this year, 2022. And uh, what I wanna encourage you to do is maybe your heart comes alive. Like when you serve, when you are literally the, the physical hands and feet of Jesus, like there's something that comes alive inside of you. Or maybe you own a business and you're looking for ways for your people to get involved and to serve the community. This is a really awesome opportunity for us to come together. And if you want more information, you can text LOVEDE to 94000 and it'll walk you through exactly how to do this. But if in any way this excites you to get closer to the heart of Jesus, come on, can we just make some noise for God like in this place? I believe I'm excited. I'm, I really am excited. And the second thing I want to tell you really quickly before we jump into uh, the last installment of This I Believe is I want to tell you about next week. Y'all, I am like, um, I am like, you, you know how middle school girls just get giddy with excitement? You know, like they're just like, oh my gosh, like, you know, they just get really excited. Like this is where I am because next week we have one of the greatest privileges, the greatest honors. Like it is so exciting for me to tell you this is that the senior pastor, the lead pastor of Church of the Highlands, Pastor Chris Hodges is going to be with us in the house, going to be preaching from this place right here. And I don't know if you know Pastor Chris, but listen, the influence of all United Church is, is literally like we look to, to Church of the Highlands and Pastor Chris because he is, he is so close to the heart of God and I could not be more excited. So what I want to say to you is this, is if you've ever come to church like ready, like ready, 
ready? You're like, how many of y'all ever come to church ready like, to worship? You shake your hands out. You're like, I'm re- nobody. Okay, cool, I do. I'm like, I'm ready. I'm ready to get my worship on. Yeah, I'm excited. If any week to get excited, it is next week and to bring your A game. I know it's daylight savings time and you're like, well, my, my, my alarm may not change. You've got an iPhone or a Droid and it will change for you. Don't use it as an excuse to not come to church. And if you're watching online out of habit and not out of health, I wanna look you in the eyes and say, get back in the house next week. Get back in the house. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. But today uh, we, we finished this series and uh, it's been a great series, but I, I want to ask you a question as we kind of jump into today's message. How, how many of y'all remember, go all the way back to childhood, maybe, maybe it's not as far back for some of you, further for others, but how, go back to childhood with me for a second. And how many of y'all remember working your parents to try to get them, come on, to, to do what you wanted them to do, just by show of hands, right? You remember, you remember like working the system. And um, I remember so many times I would, I would run up to my dad and I would say, hey, dad, hey, dad, 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 hey, mom said, <laughs> yeah, y'all laugh because you got kids now, right? You know this is true. Mom said that we could do Blank, and, uh, and, and, and you would always try to make sure that you were out of eye contact from the parents making eye contact to look at them like, I don't know, like you for real, like this, uh, this really happened. You would make sure you would manipulate. How many of y'all know kids are manipulative? Yeah, 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 amen, preach it, brother, yeah, yeah. But we would try to manipulate the system, and the reason I know this is so true is because I don't have to think back to my childhood. I have a six-year-old now, and he will come up to me, I see every parent shaking their head. They, he will come up to me and he say, hey, Daddy, Mommy said, Mommy said, and I know what's about to be said next is like, I'm probably not going to want to do what Mommy said. <laughs> mommy said we could go to Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> and I'm like, no, oh, no, not again. We're not doing that again. M- mommy said, Mommy said we, we could go to Shall We Bounce? And I'm like, Shall We Not Bounce? Come on, I just don't want to <laughs> bounce. Mommy said we could, we could go to, uh, this is the worst, on Sunday afternoon. So come to Mommy said we could go to Hibachi. And I love Hibachi. I love, I, love, I love Japanese food. It's so amazing. But I don't want to wait for my food on Sunday afternoon. I'm not just hungry. I'm hangry on Sunday afternoon. I'm, I'm, your, your boy's ready to eat. You know what I'm saying? But it's so close. It's so close to like what is possible that Sherry said that I'm wondering, did she really say that? Because if you, Sherry, you know the situation, you know the week we just came off of and shall we bounce ain't even in the equation. You start to like, the the trust of your relationship is a little bit shaken. But I started thinking about this, this final week of this series, this I believe, and I I started to have this, this realization. Is it just like my son will get me to get so close to the truth to get me to believe that my wife said something. I have found in my life to be true is that the enemy will do the exact same thing to me. It's, it's wild. And I'm, not, I'm not calling my son the enemy, but sometimes he's like the enemy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> In Jesus' name, I just want to like give him the, the Benny Hinn, be healed. You know what I'm saying? Like just give him that. And I've never done that. Wouldn't do that. Wouldn't do that. But you would to your kid. Yeah, yeah, I see it. Yeah. But so many times, like, what the enemy will do is he will get so, this is what he does in my life. I can't speak for your life. I'm going to speak for mine. Is he will get so close to the truth, so close to what I think is actually possible. And then he sends me on a hamster wheel for a day, a week, a month, extended period of time where I start asking like, like, 
so close to the truth. So I'm like, God, like, is this you or is this, is this the enemy? I, in doing this for quite a while, I, I have a suspicion that many of us have felt the same thing. That the enemy will get so close, he will tiptoe so close to the truth that he will get you buying in that, man, maybe, maybe God, maybe this really is his voice. And he'll do the same thing for every single, he'll, he'll distort it just enough. And what he does is he begins to decay and to chip away and to, to fray some of the relational trust that you have in God. Because if he can get to, if he can, if he can, Make that happen. There's a multitude, a plethora of other things that can happen if he can chisel away at the relational trust that you have with God. And the wildest thing that I have noticed and found is this, is that he's been doing the very same thing since the very beginning of time. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter three. We're gonna be there in just a moment. If you don't have a Bible, like it would be one of our greatest gifts to place one in your hands. You can stop by Next Steps after the experience, and we will give you one of those. Like, where's Next Steps? Just look for the place with all the TVs. Next Steps right there. If you're watching online, unitedchurchd.com slash resources, and we will send you one free of charge. But if you got your Bible, Genesis chapter 3, we see that from the beginning of time that the enemy has been using the very same tactic. You're like, why does he use the same tactics? It's because the same tactics still work. Why would he use new ones if the old ones still work? So he's not very... He's not very um, creative, but he's resourceful. And so today what I want to do is I want to give you some, some resourcing in order to come on to, to, to win and to have victory over the enemy. But in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, I want you to see what, what happens here. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. It says, he said, which let me take a time out there because... Um, I think that most pastors just like breeze by scripture like things are normal. But like in this story, there is a snake and he is talking. I don't know about y'all, but I'm out. <laughs> like it will be a headless snake. Like that seems very violent. No, that's just the truth is what, but we, 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 we gloss by this. He said the enemy, uh, the, the serpent's talking to the woman. Did God actually say? Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did God actually say? You see, the question, did God actually say, is it's an affront and it's an attack on the relational trust that you have in God. When I look at this story of of Adam and Eve and how all of this begins to be set up. This is where the relational trust begins to be attacked. When the enemy can get you to question that relational trust, everything else can seem skewed. Everything else can be brought into question. In 2022, you could really say it like this, would God really say? Would God really say? And the reason that we ask these questions is because I believe that in 2022, I believe that there's a deficit in an understanding of the word of God. 
I don't know, if there's anything that I hope and desire for our church, let me just say this, like from, from right here today, my desire for United Church, man, I love that we continue to grow. I love that Milford grows. I love that more people watch online. I love that more people come. I, I think it's an absolutely amazing thing. But can I tell you that when I am with Jesus, when I am praying, when I am asking God to move on our church, I'm asking God to raise the spiritual temperature of every single person who is a part of this house. That God, would you do something here? Here's why. It's because I believe that we have a generation, and it's not just at United Church. It's Big C Church all around. We are raising up a generation of biblically illiterate followers of Jesus. And when you don't know what God said, you will begin to say, would God really say? There are so many, I wish I could stay here all day, but there's some questions that I've got to answer in just a moment. But when you say, would God really say, you end up saying things like this, that there's no way that he would command something that makes me uncomfortable. You end up saying things like, there's no way that he would command something that goes against my preferences. There's no way that he would command something that goes against, here's a 2022 word, my feelings. There's no way that he would command something that seems so countercultural in 2022. Did God actually say? Would he really say? And if we don't, if we're not, Pastor, why do you do lamp and light? Why do you talk about the word of God so much? One, because it has changed my life. I talked about that several weeks ago. And, and we've been reading through the book of John. We've been reading through uh, the book of Genesis. And it's been so encouraging to my soul. And God just speaks truth into my soul. He speaks truth into my life. He, he helps me to walk a little bit taller, to feel a little bit freer. That's why we talk about this. But I also want you to be equipped that when you are walking in your job, that when you are walking at school and somebody says, hey, would God actually say that you would be equipped to know what God already said? Come on, because there are some things that we don't need to pray about God already talked about. Like, would God actually say, I trust that Milford's losing their mind right now. There's three people that are like, yeah, that's good preaching in, in Dover. Milford out of control right now. They are losing their minds. Yeah. And I just want to warn you, it would be, it's so much easier to navigate this the longer you've been following Jesus. Because like when this relational trust is attacked and you've been following Jesus for like 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, you've been following Jesus for an extended period of time, you, you have enough time and distance in to see that there are hills and there are valleys of life. And that God shows up in every single one of them, in the hills and the valleys and everywhere in between. But, but if you've been following Jesus, maybe you accepted Jesus last week when Pastor David preached, which was that not, by the way, an amazing mess. That was fantastic. But maybe you accepted Jesus last week and you haven't had enough time and distance in this and, and it begins to de decay a little bit of the relational trust when you don't know what God said and God, the, the enemy starts asking you questions like, would God actually say or did God actually say? It, it's a real, it's a real the real thing. Verse number two, he continues. But, but let me, like, before, I, before I go any further, I want you to say this. He says, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. How many of you know that this wasn't actually what God said? But it was so close to the truth that now Adam and Eve are, are having to, to figure it out. Like that, that hamster wheel that I talked about. Check out verse two, it continues. It says, and the woman said to the serpent, which second weird thing, serpent talks to the woman. Now the woman is responding to the serpent. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. 
But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Let me point out something else. Adam was with Eve the entire time. People throw Eve under the bus all, always. Like you should make a better decision, Eve. Why did you do this? Adam could have been like, girl, put that down. You know what I'm saying? Like, but he didn't, he didn't. Don't, he could have just, he could have politely, could have politely moved. Just, 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 just don't, don't do that. Just move it away. He, at any time he could have done that, but he was, he, he, he participated, which tells me something. I, mean, I got a mirror in front of me, men. We need to step up always. Anyways, verse, am, am I preaching? Any, any men going to say like preach? Yes. Okay. She does get a bad rap. Like, Eve, if she wouldn't have done this, none of this would have happened. Like, we wouldn't be all screwed up if she wouldn't have done this. It's like, well, Adam, Adam had a chance too, okay? Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. It is so crazy what happens when the enemy steps in, he starts speaking so close to the truth, he starts asking some crazy questions and the relational trust of Adam and Eve is deteriorated so quickly. And there were some questions as we finish up this, I believe, I mean, this series could be 30 weeks long. We, we, we could do that and um, you would be bored. I would be bored. It would, it would just be a bad, bad whole thing. But, but there's so many questions that come when the relational trust is brought is compromised with, with Jesus. There's, there's so many questions that can circulate through our mind that we wrestle through when the enemy has chiseled away and asked us some serious questions. Today, I want to tackle three of them. And I just want to say this before I wade into these three questions. Y'all, th- these are three of the, the heaviest, hardest questions that we, ha- we, we will even wade into at any point in United Church. And so I don't pretend to act like over the next, you know, five to seven minutes for each of these questions that, that we could answer all of the questions that may be in our mind. But what I want to do is maybe you are a believer already, that you would be a little bit more equipped to have a conversation with somebody who would have these questions. Does that make sense, the difference? So I don't pretend to be naive enough to say, hey, I'm going to change your mind. I'm going to, uh, this is going to be uh, life altering, although it may. And I believe that God can do whatever he wants to do. But the, for those who are believers already, I believe that this could be equipping. So let me get to the questions. The first question that can happen when our relational trust is chiseled away is how could a freeing God be so restrictive? We start to ask questions like this. How could a freeing God be so restrictive? Which is essentially asking, is God restrictive? And so this is a question that you and I, must answer that is he restrictive? I love what Paul says in Galatians chapter five, verse one. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And so we ask this question, is God 
restrictive. And the reason that we ask this question, the reason I ask this question is because they're so close. The, the words that I want to use, this idea of boundaries and restriction are so close. And what the enemy will do is he will blur the lines between what are God's boundaries and what are restriction. And he will choose, he will begin to decay the relational trust. So we start to see all of God's commands as restriction rather than boundaries in our life. Does this make sense? I, I told this story um, back in September at First Wednesday, but it's so pertinent to this, this moment right now, and I have to tell it again. There was a study that was done by psychologists and sociologists and therapists, and they, they sat on the playground at an elementary school. They released all these kids out onto the playground, and there were the, 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 all the equipment, and there was fencing around this, and the kids were like losing their mind. They were playing. They were having a great time. It was like fantastic. It was so awesome. The kids were having the time of their lives. They bring the kids back in from recess and the next day comes and they had taken down the fence on the playground. And so they release the kids out into recess and the kids go out and they don't play freely. Like, you, you, by the way, fact check me on this. Look this study up. This is like research that has been done. This is not just a illustration. I'm like, hey, they're going to really like this and it's going to make them believe what I have to say. No, this is a real illustration. They release the kids out onto the playground. The fence is, is not, no longer there. And the kids now, they've got a little bit more fear. They've got a little bit more anxiety. They're huddled towards the middle of the playground. Not, not a lot of laughter. Like this is just the way that it was. The kids come back in from recess. The next day they put the fence back into place. They release them back out to recess. And guess what happens? They're playing. Like they're playing in the corners. They're playing all over the place. They're having the time of their lives. Our children, it is research that shows us that our children need boundaries in order to experience fullness in life. Can I tell you today, can I submit to you, church, can I submit to you today that you and I need boundaries in following Jesus in order to experience the fullness of everything that he has for us? I know that some of us are not convinced, and so I brought some boundaries with me that, that I think that you and I could agree on. Like, how many of you would agree that a good boundary is don't murder anyone? Like, I think we... If you've ever murdered somebody, raise I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. It'd be awkward. It'd be awkward. Hey, second chances, forgiveness, grace, but that would be weird for the person beside of you or in front of you. They'd be like, they'd be watching their back the whole time. But we would all agree that's a good boundary. That's not a restriction. How many of you would agree? We don't have to show, no, no show of hands, but like, don't steal. It's a good boundary. It's a good boundary in order for us to experience the fullness of life. Don't live in drunkenness, don't have sex with, out with some, somebody that's not your husband or wife. Good boundary, not really a restriction. And in healthy brain space, all of us would say, yes, those are good boundaries. Don't kill somebody. That's great. Like, don't, don't, don't steal from somebody. That's great. But when the enemy starts to chisel away the relational trust, we no longer see these as healthy boundaries. We see them as restrictions, you know, you know how I know this? I'm 35 now, but I was a teenager once. And teenagers, you, you may not know this. Students, you may not know this, but your parents love you more than life itself. Literally. They would do anything in the world. They would take a bullet for you. They would stand in front of a car for you. They would do anything for you. But as soon as they put a curfew on you, like, you don't love me. <laughs> you don't love me. Like they, they, they take away, they take something away for like, for like a day. Like you, 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 you've habitually come in late and they take away your keys. Like, Hey, you're grounded for three days. You're like, you don't love it. You don't love it. Like no, they, they, they love you so much that they're putting boundaries in place in order for you to experience fullness of life. The second question, and this one, this one is, um, this one is so serious. 
this question is, how could a loving God send people to hell? And the question that we're asking is this, is God loving? How could a loving God send people to hell? We could probably do a show of hands. Every single hand would be raised of, of people that have heard someone ask this question or a question similar to this. I love what 1 John 4 says. It says, God is love. I love what John 3.16 says through 21. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Don't, don't miss this. And people loved the darkness rather than light. How, how, how easy is it for us to see this in 2022? People that love, they don't, they don't just live in darkness. They love the darkness. I'm going somewhere, building a case. People love the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. Not only do people love the darkness, but they hate the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The question is, it's a good question. How could a loving God send people to hell? But the answer may not be um, one that you initially agree with me on because this is not something that I find joy or delight in, but this is what I, this, we're gonna continue to go on this journey and I want you to go on it with me. Is that God doesn't send people to hell. He grants them the desire of their choice. Follow me, follow me. I'm not trying to be inflammatory. I'm not trying to be like, inciting. I'm not trying to be any of those things. But for love to be love, there has to be a choice. Imagine someone who spends their entire life worshiping Satan. Imagine someone who for their entire life, they not only lived in the darkness, they loved the darkness. They're like, this is what I do. This is who I am. This is the way that I, I, I this is the way that I'm, this is just who, this is my destiny. This is my destiny to love the darkness. Imagine them closing their eyes on this side of eternity and waking up on the other side of eternity and being forced to stand around the throne of God and sing holy, holy, holy for all of eternity. Church, can I submit to you what would be heaven for me and you would be hell for them? Because their choice on earth and God loves us so much that he gives us a choice. He's like, hey, I love you so much. When I was on the cross, I was praying that you would choose me. When I was on the cross, I was hoping that you would choose the eternal life. But I love you so much that I'm going to allow you to not choose me as much as I want you to choose me. Does this make sense today, church? And so the, 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 the desire is not that we get excited. Like, yo, that's why we do what we do every single week, because we don't want anybody to go to hell. Like, we want to make it hard for the people in the state of Delaware to not know Jesus. 
Like we want to be the one standing like there's a cliff and the other side is separation from God and hell saying, no, 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 don't go, don't go. Hey, there's a better hope. There's a better way. And can I tell you, this isn't the only the heart of United Church. This is the heart of Jesus as well. Check out 2 Peter chapter 3. It says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise of some of count slowness, but is patient toward you. How many of y'all thankful God was patient towards you? Like when you were staying out late and you were coming in early, he was patient with you. When you still had some crazy habits, you were over drinking, he was patient with you. When you were still addicted, he was patient with you. When you were all caught up in pornography, he was patient with you. When you were messing around your husband or your wife before you met Jesus, he was patient with you. I'm so thankful that God is patient. He, not just you, I'm so thankful that he was patient with me. Y'all, if, I, if everything came back up from my high school years, I would be disqualified to do what I do. But thanks be to God, he was patient with me. But patient toward you, not wishing. This is the heart of God. Any, any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is the heart of our God, that every single person would know him. But he loves every single person so much that he allows you to choose. Check out what Timothy Keller said. He said, hell is simply one's freely chosen identity apart from God on a trajectory into infinity. This is the choice. This is the choice. C.S. Lewis said it like this, it is not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there is something growing which will be hell unless it is not nipped in the bud. Church, I don't want to act like this is not a big deal because it's a huge deal. But I want you to be equipped to think through this, that it's not God who sends people to hell, it's people's choice to reject him that is how they end up in hell. So I've walked through, is God restricting, restrictive, excuse me, I've, I've walked through, is God loving? The last question, no easier than the other, is how could a good God allow suffering? And the question that's really being asked is, is God good? I love what Mark 10, 18, the second part of that verse says, it says, no one is good except God alone. And we're going to stay heavy before we get light. We're going to end up, I promise you this. But my question that I want to pose to you today is, is it possible? Is it possible that you and I serve a sovereign God who is big enough to not cause suffering, but to allow it and then use it for his glory? But here's what will happen when the enemy starts to de deteriorate and to decay away the relational trust that you have in God. Because here's, on a good day, on the best day, when you sing the blessing at United, come on somebody, you believe God is good. You, you believe, you're like, oh yeah, I believe God is good. I believe he's amazing. I believe he's sovereign. I believe he sees zoomed out when I see zoomed in. I believe he sees the whole puzzle when I only see a, I believe he, I believe he sees, a, but when something shakes our faith, we went, whoop, whoop. Like God, this is outside of the box of what I think is acceptable for you to do. 
Church, what has happened is we've created, we don't serve a God that we were created in his image. We serve a God that we created in our image. And instead of saying, God, listen, I don't understand how this could be, and I hate suffering, and I hate the fact that it's this way, and God, I know that you didn't create it like this, but you created man with a choice. If y'all remember, go back to pain to purpose. We've preached through this whole series in week number one. If you missed that, go back and watch that. Like, this wasn't how God created the heavens and the earth. He created us to to have perfection and to walk with him and to enjoy this this, this sweet company with him and to, to be hand in hand with him, but he also created you and I with a choice the choice that we just talked about a moment ago. The choice to love him and to choose him or the choice to choose otherwise and man chose otherwise and in steps things like COVID and cancer and all of the things that we struggle with on this this earth. C.S. Lewis, brilliant, brilliant author. If you've never read anything C.S. Lewis, you should. He says, my argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust But check this, but how had I got this idea of just and unjust? Like if we're just a maturing ape that our tail just fell off a thousand years ago, where did the idea of just and unjust come from? He says, what was I comparing this universe with when when I called it unjust? He said, of of course I could have given up my idea of justice by saying it was nothing but a private idea of my own. But if I did that, then my argument against God collapsed too, for the argument depended on saying that the world was really unjust, not simply that it did not happen to please my private fantasies. I love this. He says, consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. Jesus gave us warning. He says, in the world, you will have tribulation. He said, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus was giving us a heads up. He says, listen, I need you to understand that like everything that you're experiencing right now was not how I created, but can I tell you, take heart. I have overcome the world. C.S. Lewis also said this. He said, they say of some temporal suffering, don't miss this. This is probably, if you've checked out, check back in. He said, they say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into glory. What what is C.S. Lewis saying? He's saying what was said in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, that God takes what the enemy meant for evil and he turns it around for your good, that we serve a sovereign God who in the moment we can't see that in the down moments, in the valleys, how bad life is, we can't see from the walls that are around us. But can I tell you, the walls around you are the mountaintop that God sits on to have perspective in your life and he's turning it around for your good. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Can I tell you, if if it's not good right now, can I tell you, it's just not over. If it's not good in the moment that you find yourself in, just keep going. Because we have a promise from God that we know that for those who love God, some things work together for good. Most things, yeah, all, all things. I can tell by the response, some of you aren't in the, you're not in the season of triumph yet. You're in the season of trying. You're like, oh God, 
see the walls around you, the walls, the mountain that God gets his perspective from. And can I tell you that he's going to take what the enemy meant for evil and he's going to turn it for your good. Revelation chapter 21, very end of the Bible. We start at the beginning, we land at the end. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth where the first heaven, the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. John's having a vision. He says, and I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. In the book of Genesis, he walked with man. And in the book of Revelation, he will walk with man again. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Come on, this is good news. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Jesus, seated on the throne, seated on the throne, which signifies that he is finished, that his work is done, seated on the throne, that one day, all of this wrong will be made right. That all of this craziness and questions that we can't answer. And church, listen, I'm not asking you to blindly just follow and say, you know, whatever, like God, whatever it is, whatever. No, no, no. I believe there's enough truth that you can come down to. There's the, wor the words of God. There's his literal words and his literal promises that you can bank your life on. God has never written a check that he can't cash. So when you have questions, well, can I just encourage you? God is big enough to answer your, he's not, a, he's not afraid of your questions. He's not, oh, oh there, there's that question again. So God's like, hey, bring it to me. Bring it to me. Run it through the lens of people that you trust, people that you look to, people that you know are, are trustworthy. And I believe as you wrestle, God will continue to grow you and stretch you. So today, I just want to give an opportunity. If you would, just for a moment, just bow your head and close your eyes. And just for distraction's sake. Maybe today you hear me talk about this God, this God who makes wrong things right. This God who gives opportunity for new beginnings. And you're like, man, I, if I could have a relationship with, with him and I'm, I'm all in. And, so with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just, just wonder if today, if that's you, you've never stepped into a relationship with Jesus, that right where you sit, would you pray a prayer like this? Would you say, Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins? Jesus, would you make me brand new? God, I believe that you're the God who makes all things right. I believe that you're the God who went to the cross to pay for my sin. 
And I believe that you're the God who rose on the third day to show me I can have victory in my life. God, I look to you. God, I need you. God, help me to live every day for you. Every head still bowed, every eye still closed. I just wonder if today you made that, that declaration, that statement. You prayed that prayer to invite Jesus into your life and to make a statement that he's your Lord and Savior. Would you just throw your hand up right where you sit? Nobody's looking around, just right where you are. Would you throw your hand up and say, hey, today's the day. It's amazing. It's amazing. You can pull those down. But I'm gonna pray for you today and your MC is gonna take over. But I just believe today that our church is getting stronger. I believe the temperature is rising. And I believe he's doing something special in this place. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That one day you will wipe away every tear. God, one day we will stand around the throne. God, one day we will experience you. We will walk with you. Father, from now till then, would we be on a pursuit of your heart? God, I pray for every single person who gave their life to Jesus today. God, would they know that this is the beginning, not the end. This is the starting block, not the finish line. God, you want to walk with them every single day of their life. Jesus, we commit our lives to you all over again. We love you, praise you. In Christ's powerful name we pray, amen.